Good morning, Christ Bible Church. Great to be here uh, this morning to uh, together to gather together to worship. And it's, I'm Chuck Oltman, pastor here, and it's my privilege this morning to uh, lead us in the study of God's Word. A special welcome if you're uh, visiting with us and or uh, joining us online. Hi, Mom. Hi, Chris. Uh, it's it's good to be together. Uh, as you know, uh, we're excited about being in the Gospel of John. If, you've, if you're with us regularly, you, we go back and forth, Old Testament, New Testament. We finished the book of Nehemiah three weeks ago, uh, which was a great book, uh, a book that is, we think the Bible teaches in all cases uh, about Jesus. So we're looking forward in Nehemiah to who Jesus was and the, the, the types that were there and all those places. But now, this thing that was distant is now here in our midst as we begin the Gospel of John, as we study the Gospel of John. So we're excited about that, uh, to work through this part of the story. And so where exactly are we in this story, you might ask? Um, Well, as you know, um, we believe that life works in a certain way. It follows a certain storyline. And if if you have any doubt that that's true, you just need to look around in the world that we live in. Either life is all about me, my life, my happiness, my truth, or it's about some bigger story that we're a part of, uh, one in which we are not the main character. And uh, the biblical story is that one true story that records the purposes of God in history and in our, uh, in our lives. This is the one true story that we are all a part of. Uh, so we view this as a, a six-act drama, if you would. You've heard me say this before. Uh, bear with me. I think that uh, repetition is a great teacher, so I will repeat. Uh, act one, God created everything, and it was good. Man is the pinnacle of that creation. Uh, Genesis 1-2 lays out that storyline. Uh, God's creation created beings, us, uh, rebelled against him, uh, Genesis 3. And then act three is the story from Genesis 3 through Malachi of God's promised plan of redemption to take his rebellious creatures and find a way back to himself. Uh, that's where we were in Nehemiah. That's what, you know, we were at the tail end of that. Malachi is the very end of the Old Testament, and Nehemiah was the return of the kingdom there. Uh, Act 4, God fulfilled that promise, uh, the promised plan, by becoming one of us, by living the perfect life, by dying a horrendous death, by being buried and then raised from the dead uh, three days later. That glorious story is told in the Gospels, and that's where we are now in the Gospel of John. Uh, Act 5, God established the church. Um, in order to continue to pursue his lost sheep, that they may know uh, him and that they may have eternal life. Uh, That's where we are now physically uh, in this place, in church. Acts and the epistles kind of lay out that plan. Then Acts 6 is the culmination of God's plan of redemption, the return of the king, which we look forward to uh, eagerly. Come, Lord Jesus, come. So that's the broad story that the narrative of the Bible covers. Uh, Historically, that looks kind of like this. Um, we'll try this. There we go. Uh, this is the, the timeline, if you would. And again, think of this in 500-year chunks. Makes it easy. About 2,000 is Abraham. About 500 years later is Moses and the Exodus. About 500 years after that is, uh, is the height of the kingdom. So right in here, David, Solomon. Um, again, that's as, as good as it got for is, the nation Israel, if you would. And then eventually... Uh, Uh, Where we are today, as we continue in the journey, is right here, where uh, Christ's birth and death, so we're in the 5 B.C., uh, 30 A.D. time frame, uh, historically. So that kind of overlays that narrative, 
And interestingly, when we left Nehemiah, if you remember, the Persian Empire had taken over. They'd conquered the Babylonians. That's what uh, facilitated the return, as God had promised, of his people to the, the southern kingdom, to uh, Judah. And then as, as that, from then, that's about 444 B.C., somewhere in there, in between there and where we are now, about 330 B.C., uh, a guy named, uh, this, this Greek guy named Alexander the Great, conquered Darius, he defeated Darius III in battle, which then made the ancient Near East Empire uh, Greece. Greece was owner of all that stuff that Persia had mostly. And that's why the New Testament is largely in Greek, because of, of that transpired uh, events. Uh, there was some revolt, a brief period of independence for the nation of Israel, and then uh, a Roman general named Pompey came in in 63 BC and conquered Jerusalem and established Rome, and so for the next 500 years, uh, Judah, Israel, Palestine was under the thumb of Rome. So this is the beginning of that time frame, and so now Rome is, is the overseer of that whole thing. So that's historically what that looked like. Geographically, and I do this because no one else will. So, um, so here's a map, and what we have on this map is this is the, north, this is the Sea of Galilee right in here. Uh, down here, about 80 miles south, is Jerusalem, Dead Sea, and all that's down here. The story today will begin uh, in the Bethany beyond the Jordan, not to be confused with the Bethany that's near Jerusalem. Uh, and they pretend like they know where that is. They really don't. I mean, there's no historical evidence of exactly where it is, but we know two things. It's the Bethany beyond the Jordan, so it's on the east side of the Jordan River. And Jesus travels from here to Galilee, so we know it's not in Galilee, which matches up with that. So... It could be here, it could be down much closer to Jerusalem, uh, where the, as we saw last week, the, the people from, you know, the, the, all the big muckety-mucks from the temple came and visited John the Baptist, that would make their trip easier. So they really don't know where it is, but it's not all that important. Other places here, Capernaum and Beth, Bethsaida, we will see today on the northern shore of the Sea of Galilee. Uh, Nazareth, where Jesus is uh, allegedly from, is right here. And there's Cana. And I just show you that because next week, is the water into wine in Cana. And Randy will not show you this map, but I will. So now next week you can remember that's where Cana is. It's about eight miles north of Nazareth. And uh, uh, so you've seen it now right here. Um, so in the story itself, in the Gospel of John, where have we been and how is that shaping uh, where we're going today? Well, John uh, wrote this gospel likely after the other gospels, so he knew what the other gospel writers had written, and he was an eyewitness as, a, as a, an apostle of Christ to much of to, to Jesus' public ministry, to his uh, public life ministering, to his death and his resurrection. So he knew a lot of other things that happened that aren't recorded elsewhere. He'll, he'll make that point here in a minute. But when he wrote this gospel, he wrote it for a very specific person, purpose. So you're always interested as you're trying to communicate what the Bible teaches about what the author intended, what the authorial intent is. And, and in this case, it's pretty clear because this God-breathed gospel that John wrote, he stated very clearly what his purposes were, and that's in John 20, verses 30 and 31. He says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these, these ones we're going to talk about, these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So that's why John has written this gospel. That's why God wrote this gospel through John for us, so that we might know who is this 
Christ and how can we have life in him. So that's all this stuff we're going to study for the next uh, few months as we go through this gospel. That's why John wrote these things. We always need to keep that in mind. So how has he done that so far? Well, he started with the prologue two weeks ago. Uh, John, uh, the first 18 verses of John 1. Other gospels, Mark, I'm sorry, Matthew and Luke start with genealogies and who begat who and end up with Jesus or be, work it backwards, depending on which one you're looking at. John doesn't start there. He starts, you know, in the beginning was the Word. Before creation, before all of this was, the Word was. And he, so he starts it there and creates this whole cosmic picture with no, uh, with, with indefinite time and with indefinite location and it's all, but he brings it down to the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And so now it becomes very specific in, in, in time and in place. And we'll see that continue today. Um, so in, in the sense, all of this creation bears witness to God's work in this world, in his unfolding of his plan. Next, we did John the Baptist. That was last, last week. Now the time and place have become very specific. So this funnel narrows, if you would. Uh, the days are specified as we read through. We saw it last week. We'll continue to see it this week. The next day, the next day, the next day. So these are technically, if you count the days, this is the first week of Jesus' public ministry. The place is also very specific. It's Bethany beyond the Jordan, wherever that is, uh, which they really don't know. But it was a place, and they were there. And although it's not clear in this text, these events, as you, if you correlate this with the other Gospels, this, uh, these events likely occurred after Jesus' baptism, which John, uh, the writer, <clears throat> excuse me, alluded to last week, and it also after Jesus' temptation in the desert. So if you're trying to place this in Jesus' ministry, it fits somewhere in there. Um, John the baptizer's part in this is also very clear, as we saw last week. They asked him who you are, and he said, I'm not him, I'm not Elijah, I'm not the prophet, I'm not the Christ. Uh, my mission is to point to him. Uh, to witness to who he is. He is the Lamb of God. He's the one who baptizes with the Spirit. He is the, he is the Son of God. So we've seen the witness of creation in the prologue. We've seen the witness of John the Baptist uh, last week in what he did there. And now today we're going to see the witness of his followers, uh, of his first followers, we're gonna, as God unfolds his plan on how to save the world from their sin. So with all that as a backdrop, let's read our text for today, which is John 1. Verses 35 through 51. Verse 35. The next day, again, John was standing with two, disciples, two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned away, turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, come, and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the 10th hour. One of the two who had heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. Verse 45, or 43, I'm sorry. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth. 
the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? And Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered him, Behold, I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree. Do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven and earth opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. May God bless the reading of his word. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for this opportunity to uh, gather together to learn of you this morning and to worship you. And Father, we pray that you would teach us. Lord, that you would enlighten our minds, that we might understand who you are, what you've done, how we're to respond. Lord, that we might not just understand us, understand that with our minds, but Lord, you would also enlighten the eyes of our heart that we might uh, understand clearly what you love and uh, how to love the things you love. Lord, please change us in that way. Mold us, shape us, make us like you. And Father, I particularly pray today, it's times like this, as I get the opportunity to teach, that I'm reminded that I can do nothing. We can do nothing apart from you. Lord, this work in our lives, this shaping of our hearts, this opening of our minds and hearts is a work that only you can do. And Lord, we desperately need you to do that in our lives this morning. Father, we pray to that end that all this may make much of you. For it's in your name we pray. Amen. All right. plan this morning is as we go through the text, I want to uh, focus on three points. Um, as we look at, at this good news, the gospel, on God's plan to establish and expand the kingdom of God. Uh, and so how does God do that? Well, point number one, God's plan to do that is intentional. Point number two, God's plan to do this is personal and uh, as well as relational. So this plan to establish and expand the kingdom of God is intentional, it's personal and relational, and thirdly, it requires belief in him, belief in Jesus as the Christ. So we'll, we'll walk through, through those here and now, starting God's plan is, first of all, intentional. As we saw at the end of 34, John the Baptist declares that Jesus is the Son of God. And now we begin the moving from John the Baptist uh, to Jesus with this next passage. The next day again, verse 35, John was standing with his two disciples. So the next day makes this, that phrase, if you track it backwards and forwards, that makes this day three of this uh, accounting for the days of Jesus' public ministry. And John is preparing to, to do what he came to do. Uh, verse 31 said from last week, I came that he, that the Christ, may be revealed. Uh, so with John, as, uh, as he's there, he, he has these two disciples of his that are with him. One we're going to find out in a few verses is named Andrew. The other one, uh, we really don't know who it is. It's, he's unnamed. Uh, it could be Philip. We'll meet Philip here as well in a, a few verses. Or it could be the author of this gospel, John. Um, basically, John has a habit, as we'll work through this gospel, we'll see that he, was, he doesn't identify himself. He is the, 
the beloved disciple, the one that Jesus loved. You know, he has these little names for himself that he so makes these little cameo appearances. And so this could be him doing that as well. Uh, but again, it's, uh, it's not known and it, it, it's not really all that important to understanding what this text is actually saying. So there, he's there with his two disciples. Uh, he sees Jesus and he says, behold, the Lamb of God. He said that before, back in verse 29. He said, behold, the Lamb of God, uh, the one who takes away the sins of the world. Um, so this kind of ties it to that back to that last scene. But uh, the audience in that scene was, was not defined. It was very broad. The audience in this one is very well defined. It is these two disciples. So, so this, this statement, behold, it's like, hey, hey, look, look, there he is. It, it points out a particular person. So that, that's what John is doing to his disciples saying, look, there, there is the Lamb of God. And so the response of these two were to, uh, to follow Jesus. That's what they did. Um, verse 37, the two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Now, uh, as they do this, um, the handoff is complete, if you would. John has performed his part of God's plan. The spotlight passes from John now to Jesus. As we will see in a couple chapters, uh, John shows up again and says, you know, he must... I must decrease, he must increase, which is exactly what's going on here. John the Baptist uh, is on the decrease, and Jesus is on the increase. So John has done his job. And now the outlines of God's plan to establish and enlarge his kingdom uh, begins to take shape. Um, Jesus, we'll get back to that in a second here, but the point I'm trying to make is that Jesus' plan, the implementation of this plan is very specific. Uh, in verse 38, he turned and spoke to these two disciples, Jesus did. Then he invited them to join him, again, a very specific act in a very specific time. Then he decided in verse uh, 43 to go to Galilee. Uh, he found Philip uh, and commanded him to follow him, again, very intentional acts. All of these uh, actions and interactions show clear intentionality on the part of Jesus uh, to bring this mission together. So given that that's how Jesus lived his life at the beginning of his public ministry, actually his whole life, uh, how do we live our lives? How do you live your life in the midst of the world that we are in? Uh, when you uh, interact with your children, when you engage with them, uh, when you go to school, when you go to work, when you're on your 13th Zoom call for the day, are you looking for opportunities to engage others for the kingdom of God? Uh, are you looking for opportunities to nudge others towards Jesus? We all should live life like that with our antennas up, with our, because that is uh, the thing. We have found the good news, and, and our heart should be to desire to look for opportunities to move our families, to move our acquaintances, to move our neighbors as we can as God provides opportunities to nudge them in that direction, to live with gospel inten intentionality. So second point not only is it intentional, but God's plan is personal and God's plan is relational. Uh, there's four specific interactions that we'll look at here briefly with various peoples in this passage. Each one is different, but each one is also uh, very personal. The first interaction is with, as we've already looked at, between uh, these two, Andrew and the unknown disciple in verse 39, as they interact with Jesus. So John says, there he goes. They say, okay, we're going to follow him. And then Jesus sees them following him and looks back and says, hey, uh, what are you seeking? Uh, which, to me, I would love to preach a whole sermon just on that. I almost did, because that's a great question. It is a question that we should all ask and answer ourselves. It's a question we should all 
ask and think through when we engage in the world that God has placed us. You know, why are we followers of Jesus? What are we doing here today? Why are we doing this? Uh, what do you seek? What do you, what do you hope to achieve out of this? What do you want? Um, but we'll do that a different day. Today, uh, their response to that was, well, where are you staying? Which to me, it seems like kind of a lame response. I mean, here's the Messiah going, hey, uh, what are you guys, what are you seeking? What do you want? Uh, yeah, where, where are you staying? Uh, but actually, it's, it's a, kind of a normal exchange for this mentor, mentee, discipling, uh, rabbi, uh, teacher, follower, how these relationships come out. And Jesus' answer, I think, is also very provoking. He doesn't say, uh, well, you know, I'm staying at the Motel 6. He says, hey, come and see. Come with me and see. Um, so, so here we have this plan again beginning to take, take shape. The creator of the universe needed a bulletproof, fail-safe plan to ensure that the world was saved from their sin. He's only got three years to do this. He's got to get it right. It sounds like the basic subplot, the beginnings of a, of a Marvel movie. You know, you got the superhero and you have this, this situation that just can't be resolved and not, what are we going to do? Uh, so what did Jesus do? Well, he invited others to come and see. To join him on the journey. <laughs> so no focus groups, no public relations team, no, uh, no big events planned to get the word out. Just come and see. Um, and again, I think Jesus does that. He asks great questions uh, throughout his ministry, and ones that, again, someday we'll take a look at. So how did they respond? Jesus said, come and see. Well, verse 39 says they came and they saw and they stayed. Um, so they came and they saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the 10th hour. 10th hour is about 4 o'clock in the afternoon, so it was late in the day, and, they, and he said, come and stay with me. So that's a part of this establishing this relationship. Um, uh, we want to follow you. Okay, come stay with me, and that's the beginnings of it. And these disciples of John the baptizer, these two guys specifically, and I would argue likely the whole, all of the people we will meet today are probably disciples of John the baptizer. So they probably have some basic understanding of who Jesus is and what he's done. John's already said, hey, he is the son of God. He is the one who baptizes with the spirit. He is, he is the Messiah. So they, they have that understanding. So they're kind of looking, they're, you know, they're uh, trying to make all these pieces fit together. So they that foundation has already been laid, and, and now this exchange that they have sort of seals that as them becoming his followers, his disciples. Um, the, then the next verse 40, the, one of the two who heard, this is where we find out that it was Andrew who was identified as Simon Peter's brother. And I think this is sort of the plight of the, the other brother. You know, it's not like, well, who's Andrew? Andrew is this great guy, is this wonderful fisherman, he does all these, it's like, Andrew? Yeah, I think I've met Andrew. Isn't he Peter's brother? You know, it's always that, the kind of the lesser, yeah, and uh, living in his shadow, if you would. Uh, I think we all know people like that, or maybe we are people like that. But, uh, but then Andrew's response is very interesting because he, hears, he, he has spent this time with Jesus, and somewhere in that conversation, of course, he already had the foundation laid, but he became, this excited him so much that he had to go tell the one that was closest to him, who was his brother. Uh, Simon Peter. So he goes and tracks him down and, uh, and brings him to Jesus. And I think that also can be a lesson for us. You know, when we, for the, when we came to Christ, probably our first reaction was, hey, I got this, this thing has just happened to me. I, I have this relationship with God that I didn't have before. I need to go tell people because it's this wonderful thing. 
And that's Andrew's reaction. And I think that's, that should be our reaction as well. And, you know, as life goes on, sometimes that, that fervor wears off, but the core truths are still the same. The, the God of the universe has chosen to, be, to have this relationship with us, and that is good news. He's paid for our sin. He gives us life. That is great news, and we should tell others about it. Um, so they sought out Peter, and uh, he said, we found the Messiah using the same language as Paul talked about last week, the Messiah, the anointed one. And that leads us uh, into the, the second interaction, which is between uh, Christ and Peter. Uh, verse 42, he, Andrew, brought him, Peter, to Jesus. And Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son of, of John. You should be called Cephas, which means Peter. So the kingdom is already spreading. We have one who heard the good news telling someone who had, had not heard the good news. And uh, Jesus' point is short. And uh, the, I think in this passage, John, the author of this book, has, I, wants to get Peter involved early. Uh, so he brings him into the story. He's in the story. But he highlights that for us so that we understand, begin to see who Peter is. But also, interestingly, Christ renames him. And this, this word, uh, Cephas, is Aramaic. Uh, Petros is Greek uh, for Peter. And Peter, for us, is a formal name. But for them, it wasn't. It was like a nickname. Uh, it was like, uh, like Rocky. You know, like just, and, and so he, he gave him this name. Not because of who he was, because as we work through this gospel, we will see that Peter is not the rock. But Jesus is looking forward to who Peter will become, and he names him that, uh, which I think is very interesting. So verse 43, the next day, another scene break here, uh, change in time. Uh, he, Jesus, found Philip and said to him, follow me. Uh, in this case, Jesus takes the initiative. This isn't a come and see Andrew moment. This is a follow me. So again, the foundation has likely been laid relationally. He understands who Christ is, and his response is to follow. This is a command. It's in the imperative, but it's still relational language. It's still uh, very personal from Jesus to uh, Philip. So, and again, this isn't, as we've looked at, this isn't a cultural, culturally norm way of uh, becoming a disciple. You know, it works usually in this time much more like we just described with Andrew and uh, the unnamed disciple, but... This isn't unheard of. Uh, uh, Socrates was said to have had collected disciples in this way by just drawing them into himself. And again, Philip may have had a an existing relationship with Andrew and Simon Peter. It's pointed out in the text that they are all from Bethsaida, which we saw on the map, right? Uh, it's, it's only three miles from Capernaum, so they're very close. Uh, we'll see later that um, Andrew and Peter have a house in Capernaum because that becomes like command central for the Galilean ministry. But there may, they may have even been in business together. They're likely all fishermen, so they're uh, cut from that cloth. And that relationship then begins, like transitions us to the fourth engagement, which is between Jesus and Nathaniel. Um, Philip found Nathaniel and said to him, we've found all these things that John the Baptist said he wasn't. This is the guy. We found the Messiah, Jesus of Nazareth, son of Joseph. Which leads then to Nathaniel's infamous retort, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Which, you know, it, it sounds kind of snarky, uh, you know, to, at least to my ears. But really what he was saying was, you know, Nazareth was a podunk backwater town, maybe 2,000 people, even by first century standards, you know, it just was not the place. And so you have this Messiah, this wonderful thing that's coming to, to be all that we hope the Messiah is. But from Nazareth, you know, that is not... Uh, yeah, really? That can happen? Uh, and it's just, 
just as a brief aside, you know, I, um, Philip's response in this is, would have not been my response. I would have said, well, actually, you know, he's not really from Nazareth. He's really, you know, if you actually look at the books, he was in Bethlehem, which the prophecy said he would be, and then he went to Egypt. And, and so I would try to go the intellectual route and say, no, 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 this is the Messiah. He doesn't do that at all. He just says, come and see, which I think is a very effective way of engaging uh, people. I think it is the way uh, in this world we live in. If you want people who don't know Jesus to come to know Jesus, the come and see way is, hey, come to my house for dinner. You, know, you need to get them uh, to love them in that way in order to put God's truth on display. Uh, in this exchange, um, interestingly, Nathan, or I'm sorry, Nathaniel, he shows up twice in the, in the New Testament, once here and once at the end of John's gospel in chapter 21. That's where we find out he's from Cana. Um, so he might be a disciple. He might, he is a, he's clearly a disciple. He's clearly a follower of Jesus. He might be an apostle. If you look at the other gospels, it's, just, it's not clear how all that plays out. Uh, but regardless, he, for our discussion today, he is a uh, fully devoted follower of Jesus there at the beginning and there at the end. So as Nathaniel approaches, Jesus looks at him, and apparently having never met him, uh, he knows him. He says, you're an Israelite. So he sees him on the outside. He, he says what he is because he knows him. And then he says, an Israelite in whom there's no deceit. So he sees him on the outside, and he sees him on the inside. And, in, and this sort of, I mean, this gets Nathaniel's attention because his response to that is, how do you know me? We've never met. How can you know these things about me? Um, and then Jesus, so he goes outside, inside, and then he goes supernatural. And he says, well, before Philip called you, I saw you under the fig tree. I saw, and, and that just changes Nathaniel's world. Because his response to that is, you are the son of God. You are the long-awaited Messiah, the king of Israel. <laughs> and Jesus' response to that is, well, yeah, actually, you haven't seen anything yet. Just wait. Uh, and then he closes with verse 51, which we'll get back to here in a second. The point in this is that there's these four encounters with Andrew and the unidentified disciple, uh, with Peter, with Philip, and Nathaniel. And the language in each of these is strongly uh, relational because Jesus' ministry is strongly personal and relational. As one commentator pointed out, uh, in his exchange with the uh, Andrew and the unnamed disciple, he said this verb, to stay or to remain, uh, represents another paradigm for discipleship, another way to look at discipleship along with the idea of to follow. To follow means to embark with Jesus on a journey, while to stay or remain means to maintain a lasting personal relationship with him. And I think those are two dimensions of this thing we are called to do. We are called to walk with Jesus, to follow him, and we're also called to remain in him. And I think that's a great picture of discipleship. And also, Jesus models kind of two different approaches. So with Andrew and the unnamed disciple, he says, well, come and see. Come be with me, and you'll see who I am, uh, which they do quickly, and they respond by inviting others. Whereas with uh, uh, his, his interaction with uh, the other guy, help me here. No, with Philip. He just says, he just says follow me. He just says, oh, this is who you are? Follow me. So two different approaches, um, and because he, he was the Messiah, and that was, um, that's why he followed him, which kind of transitions us to the third point. 
Um, God's plan, this unfolding of the establishment and enlargement of his kingdom requires belief in him. So in each of these interactions with these newly minted followers of Jesus, Jesus is declared to be the Messiah. Uh, Andrew did it, we found the Messiah. Philip did it, we have uh, found him who Moses talked about. Nathaniel uh, declared it, Rabbi, you are the son of God, you are the king of Israel. And as Paul pointed out last week, their conception of who this Messiah is uh, comes with this Messiah baggage. Um, you know, they've been under the thumb of Rome, uh, and except for briefly, they've been under the thumb of somebody for a very long time. And they see the Messiah as the one who will return them to the glory days of the kingdom, to what we looked at on the timeline, you know, the, to David and Solomon in 1000 BC, and, the, and this is God's intent for the nation of Israel, and this is who we want the Messiah to come. He will make us like that again. Uh, so they had those misperceptions or those uh, perceptions that weren't aligned completely right that were going to be worked out over time. But they, they all declared him to be this person, this anointed one that they were looking forward to. Um, and even better, they, this knowledge of that caused them then to go out and invite others to join them in the journey. Um, Peter and Nathaniel specifically. But um, were the ones that were invited in that case. And this one springs naturally from the other. Uh, belief is the bedrock, the foundation of discipleship, of following the teacher. And out of that belief flows this natural desire to tell others about him, especially those that are closest to them, to us, uh, to you. So this intentional, personal, relational, belief-driven approach is God's plan to expand his ministry. That's how God wanted to establish, that's how God did establish his ministry, establish God, his kingdom on this on this earth and how that also continues to expand. It's how it's laid out in the Gospels. It's also how it, it is also the New Testament's model for ministry as well. If you look at the Apostle Paul, um, he said these same things in this way. Uh, 2 Timothy 2.2. And these things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, these things entrust the faithful men and women who will then be able to teach others also. So this idea of uh, focusing on a few who can then teach a few, who can then teach a few, who can then teach a few. This process of multiplication is the, is the gospel-proclaimed and New Testament-designed approach for how uh, we should be doing ministry. So it's not just big stadium events where the gospel's preached to the masses, although we'll see some of that in Jesus' public ministry, and there's certainly a place for that. Uh, it's not just a classroom environment where you... Uh, learn about systematic theologies, and you discuss them, and you debate them, and you disseminate them, although there's certainly a place for that as well. But God's primary plan to grow his kingdom is to pour our lives into the lives of few, who then pour their lives into the lives of a few, who then pour their lives into the lives of a few, to be a church of disciples who make disciples. If you go to our website, it says, Christ Bible Church, preach the word, which we're doing, Make disciples who make disciples, which is our desire, our heart, which is the glue that holds us together, and engage our world. So we want to engage our world by being disciples of Jesus who make disciples of Jesus, and we want all that to, be, uh, to come out of who he is, what he's done, based on his word. That's our heart. That's our desire. That's what the elders are doing. We're currently engaged in uh, discipling a few and praying that they will then disciple a few and pray that they will then disciple a few, and we would just love for you to be a part of that. Um, so where are you, where are we in this process? Well, if you're, if you're married and you have, especially if you have kids, 
we have this built-in disciple incubator place. So you should be uh, working with your family to uh, make a family of fully uh, devoted followers of Jesus. Um, other outside of that, or even with along with that, uh, where are you in this process? Do you have a Paul? Do you have a Pauline? Someone who is further along than you in the faith, more mature than you, who is helping you in your walk? Uh, do you have a Timothy or a Tanya? Someone who you are helping to grow in their faith? Uh, you should, because this is how God's, this is God's primary plan again to establish and enlarge his kingdom. Uh, I'd, I'd like to just close with this, with verse 51, which is the last um, verse in this passage. And it says this, he said to him, so this is, Jesus talking to Nathaniel, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God descending and ascending on the Son of Man. So in both instances, the I say to you, you will see, those yous have both now moved from singular to plural. They're both, so uh, Jesus is expanding his audience from just the local you, Nathaniel, to the you who is the larger you who is actually us as well. And, uh, He's referencing likely Genesis 28, 12, where if you remember the story about Jacob's dream and he had this dream and he's in uh, Luz, Bethel, and he's, he's, uh, uh, God uses this dream to confirm that Jacob is the holder of the promise. This promise that God made to Abraham and Isaac, Jacob is gonna have that promise as well. And he has this, this dream where there's a staircase that, that goes up and down, angels going up and down, and the, the, but there's a, a difference, a subtle difference between that and between what Jesus says here. In the Genesis 28 passage, the, anchor, the, the uh, ladder was between heaven and earth. In this passage, Jesus says, you will see the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man, on him. So Jesus is declaring himself to be the connection between heaven and earth, the connection between God and man. Um, and as Jesus is expanding the audience with the you becoming plural, he's also expanding the mission, saying, I'm not just here to be the king of Israel, although I'm here to do that. I'm here to save the world. I'm here to bring salvation, to be the savior of the entire world. He, he refines that point as he continues in, the gospel, in the, this gospel of John. And in, in uh, chapter 14, verse 6, he says it like this. I, Jesus, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So we are a part of that plural you, the you that has seen and experienced Christ as the bridge between God and man. And because of our belief in who Christ is and what he's done, we have the responsibility, like Andrew and like Philip, to intentionally, to personally, and to winsomely point people uh, to Jesus. It's the greatest act of love that we can do for them. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this opportunity to, uh, to delve into your word together. And Lord, my prayer for me, my prayer for us as followers of you is, Lord, that you would give us wisdom and discernment to know uh, when to say uh, and to whom to say, uh, come and see. Lord, to invite those who, aren't, uh, who don't understand who you are to come alongside us, Lord, that we might share our lives with them and and point them towards you. So Lord, give us wisdom and discernment in that. And Lord, also give us boldness to know when to say, follow. To say, you are a follower of Jesus. Uh, let's, as, as much as we follow Jesus, please follow us in this path to life. 
So we thank you that this is all yours, Lord, and we pray that you would do this work again that only you can do, that it might be to your glory and our good. Amen.